This is Contravariance, a podcast about Apple, Swift, and other programming topics. Today we have a really special episode um, because we have a guest, which we will introduce shortly. Um, I am Bas Brook, and I'm here together with Benedict Terhechte, and a third person who you might or might not be familiar with, but probably are, and that is my name is John Sundell. <laughs> Who, who's that guy? I don't know this guy. Never heard that name. He's one of my favorite speakers. My, my name is Paul Hudson, actually, but I wish I was John Sundell. Why do you wish you were John Sundell? Oh, everyone likes John. John's great, isn't he? He's so friendly and nice. And I've actually just got back from visiting him in Krakow, and he looked after us. We had drinks, got dinner and stuff. We had a great time. But aren't you nice then? I'm quite nice. I think John's nicer. I saw the picture of him with his dog. Yeah, I've, uh, the dog. He's got a nice dog. Ipa, yeah. Ipa, Ipa, beautiful it's a dog, beautiful name for a dog. Yeah, yeah. Everyone is trying to wonder: is it IPA like India Pale Ale? That's what I thought. Or is it these, uh, you know, iTunes IPA files like ar- <laughs> archives from iTunes? <laughs> uh, turns out no one's quite sure. Okay, not even John. I, th- I think I think officially it's from Pale Ale reference from when he met his girlfriend. I think. Now you know. The more you know. The yeah. more you T-I-L, know. T I L, where Johnson Dell's dog's name came from, only on Controverence can you find out these important facts. <laughs> All right. So we're going to ask you a few questions, um, and we actually want to focus on what you did before Swift. Okay. So the first thing we want to ask is, how how did you end up in computing, and have you studied computer science, or was it something completely different? Yeah, so like uh, many folks, uh, I did computing from a very young age, like 12, 13, started doing you know games, whatever, when I was a kid. Um, and then in the UK, you start specializing at 16. You do first exam at 16, and then more at 18, then more at 21. And I kind of got into this funnel of doing more and more focused on computing science, rejecting other things, just more and more coding, more and more coding. And I was convinced becoming a coder was the best thing ever. Um, when I finally graduated, I walked into a job in London doing coding full time for a, a, a London agency. And uh, I could have ended it there. Um, so I did have a computing science degree. I did have a computing science A-level, which is a, a, a qualification in the UK. And I don't know, it, it, there's so many folks out there who do a similar backstory. The, the senior dev at the time said to me, listen, Paul, I could throw a rock out the window and hit somebody like you. Uh, which is, thank you very much. You know, you're, you're really encouraging me there. Um, but this, this did, message was quite simple. Did you mention a really big rock, maybe? Yeah, you, a boulder. <laughs> but his message was simple, you know, that because I'd, all I'd done is focused on coding. And there are so many folks who only focus on coding that nothing made me stand out in any way. So uh, even though I loved it, I realized I was not a beautiful and unique snowflake. I had to do more than just coding. So more than just coding? Being? Yeah. So uh, I, so my area of coding at the time was Linux-based. I used to love doing uh, work with Linux. Um, it was, um, Linux is still cool. I've got sort of a lot of love for Linux. <laughs> What what specifically? Just a lot of curiosity. Was it C or C++? Uh, crikey, it was all sorts of things. So at the time, it was mostly PHP. Hmm? Um, this was 2003. So PHP 4 or PHP 3. Uh, uh, it, wasn't, it could have been 3. It couldn't have been 3. Okay. No, it could not have been 3. Okay, then 4 was shitty. It was 4 and 5 was happening. Okay, so you had shitty classes and you looked forward to having proper classes. I wouldn't describe it as that, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did a lot of those coding and uh, I used to buy a magazine called Linux Format. Uh, and it came from this long history of magazines. Um, if you listen as a way of like Amiga Format and ST Format of the old days. And uh, I read Linux Format, the inheritor of all this, this legacy. And I realized they had no PHP tutorial. So I, I wrote to them and saying, hey, I could do you a, a monthly PHP tutorial. And they went, fine, bring it on, do it on. 
So I started writing a PHP tutorial for this magazine uh, while working as a full-time coder. And after eight months or so, they said, listen, we're, we're recruiting someone. Do you want to come and work for us full-time? Uh, I asked around, I asked the senior folks. They said, it's basically, it's, it's great fun <laughs> doing magazine journalism. You know, you spend a lot of time at the pub, relaxing. Um, so I, I quit doing full-time coding and, went and moved to journalism by that route, expanding my horizons dramatically along the way. It's interesting that you basically, it was this one decision, right? To, to, to say, okay, let me just write a tutorial and send it to this magazine and yeah. just see what happens, which was kind of a bold move. But also, did you expect they would react or was it just like, what was your expectation? What would happen? I think it, it's fair to say that everyone who believes they do lots of work is pretty accurate, but there's a lot of luck in everything we do, mm -hmm. a lot of fortune. And that was one of my lucky breaks. I wrote in, they said, fine, we've got a slot for you, give it a try. No, it's and really it awesome. Well. Yeah. And, and I think I, I, there's this quote that um, 90% of success is just showing up. And so for many people, I think also listeners out there, if you, if you want to, if you dream of doing something or if you think of doing something, sometimes just do it. Sometimes it's not even much work to do it. Just, you know, going for, going and then trying. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd done a tutorial for Zend as well, the company behind PHP. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, they had building a portfolio of writing. So I, I quit full-time coding and became a journalist for magazines. And it was it was exactly as I was promised. There was lots of time at the pub <laughs> and relaxing. It was great fun, real blast. And um, from from there, you you at some point you then decided to focus on Swift or on iOS development. Well, this was, this was you know, way before iOS okay, even so. existed, correctly. So okay. I, I'd spent eight years doing magazine journalism um, up until, what, 2010 or so maybe. But it's for a coding magazine, in a Linux format. I do every month, I do a coding tutorial, whether it was on PHP or C Sharp or something else, Python, who knows what. Because it's what Linux is kind of famous for. There's a platform where you can make anything because it's all open source and all free. So I spent a lot of time traveling the world, interviewing folks, you know, all my geek heroes. I've met all of them. Uh, I've interviewed all of them. Um, I've, I've got the chance to be part of the community for a long time. Work in many, many languages and many, many platforms. Um, and the drive to code never goes away. You know, I learned to code at school, university and so forth, and it never, ever leaves you. So during that time, I was making Xbox 360 games. I wrote apps for Windows Mobile. And I was the only person, I think, making apps for Windows Mobile. Um, because it's there. I want to hack on it. I had a Windows Mobile phone at the time. And .NET 2.0 was the big cool thing. And I want to I want to hack on this phone. So I did. And it was great fun. And I actually released commercial apps for Windows Mobile. In, like on your on your own as an yeah. indie developer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Because well, my job was a yeah. journalist. I was yeah. doing editing full-time every day, working in the magazine. But get home, and I'll be doing, let's do some DirectX, let's do some Python, let's do whatever's going, you know, and there's this whole world of interesting things to hack on. That sounds really cool. Also because they allowed you to, to release your own stuff well, on your own. Yeah, it was, yeah. A, it was a magazine company at the time. Yeah. They, have a, they have a big internet presence now, but at the time, internet was, was irrelevant to them in terms of re revenue. So it was all about magazine sales at the time, and it still is to a large extent today. Um, but it meant that when, you know, iOS, iPhone OS at the time started happening, I wrote apps for that. I had an iPhone, bought an iPhone, made apps for it, not making money for that before the company even dreamt of doing it. And then finally they realized that there was money in this. This was around iOS 4. They said, let's invest in a, an actual app development team. Who's the geekiest person we can find? Uh, Paul is on the Linux team. He's made apps already for our iPhone. Let's hire him. So they put me in as the first person in a new team to do iPhone development. Well, iPad development. So, um, but they didn't do a iPhone, iPad development magazine because it wouldn't fit in Linux magazine, right? Well, they, they, they do Mac magazines. They make a magazine called Mac Life. 
Uh, one called oh, Mac I know they want. Yeah, yeah, they make some big. They make some. Yeah, they make sites called like Games Radar and Tech Radar and Creative Block. They make some fairly large products, um, but development full-on coding magazine they have never done because it's such a niche, complicated area. And it's obviously, of course, it's very fragmented. You know, the Venn diagram crossover of who likes Swift and likes Ruby is is pretty small, right? So you might get sixteen pages a month of interest to you, oh. and you wouldn't pay five bucks a month for that. I would probably be interested. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe. There's, a, there's an element of, like, you know, procrastination. I'd like to read about this. <laughs> I'm curious intellectually how it works, but you wouldn't necessarily apply it to your, to your products. Well, there also was Ruby Motion, right? This thing where you could write iOS apps in Ruby and it would compile, but not enough people were interested. Again, the Venn diagrams are so, yeah. so slim, yeah. sort of surrounding error. And so that's around the time I was, uh, I was four. Mm -hmm. And then at some point you started writing books. Yeah. How did that came about? Because that feels like, like related to journalism. Yeah. And when, when did that start? So the company trained me to do writing, you know, over, over these, you know, eight years, there were training courses to go on how to do good news writing, how to do good tutorial writing, how to do good review writing. Day-long courses, two-day-long, week-long courses to do these things. So the company very kindly invested in me a skill to write things. And it's challenging. You know, I, I don't think people really realize what it's like when you edit a magazine, when you are the editor of a magazine. The entire, you, every month you start, you know, it's August, whatever it is, this month's August issue. You've got 132 pages to fill. And you've got this flat plan, like a layout of what the magazine looks like. And it's completely blank. And you, as the editor, have to fill 132 pages by talking to people you know who can write such and such a thing that you think is topically interesting right now. So you're constantly thinking about what is cool, what's interesting, how to approach it, what you should make cool because no one else knows about it yet, and how to get that down quickly. So it's a challenging job, constantly filling these blank pages with content and obviously doing a lot of writing yourself. So the company very kindly invested in me in lots of lots and lots of training to do better writing. And, and uh, as a result, I... Love writing. You know, I did a second degree in, in literature while I was doing magazine journalism. I thought, I'm, you know, enjoying writing so much. I'm going to read more. And, you know, reading more makes you write more in some respects. Uh, so when it came time to, uh, when Swift came out, this is iOS uh, 7, um, 8, 8, sorry, iOS 8 and Swift came out. I, of course, started using it straight away because it's like super cool. I wrote an app for it immediately. It shipped on day one for iOS 8. It was a Safari extension to do view source, uh, which in order to develop at the time, I was like, yeah, brilliant. That was my market. Um, but I still love writing. So I've got this thing, you know, it's like the, the old Steve Jobs quote of, you know, the, the intersection of technology and liberal arts, what makes our heart sing, right? And that's the thing. When you've got a passion for coding, that's very interesting, but that's not the destination, right? We don't want to make apps just because it's fun making apps. We want to make apps to solve real problems. What actual problems exist in the world? Is it detecting arrhythmic heartbeats or helping someone learn guitar better or whatever it is? So having that double interest in writing and being able to code at the same time, do the whole job thing, put it together, and that, that sort of sprung out of there. That's awesome. Because you started hacking with Swift pretty early as well. Yeah, so that was Swift 1 when I started doing that. Um, and it proved difficult because 1.2 came out shortly after I released. So Swift came out, you know, September of whatever year that was. I was eight year. 2014. I shipped, uh, yeah, I was, I was hanging Swift the next January when it was still, still 1.0. And then, of course, 1.2 1, 1. happened uh, and lots of things changed in there. And it's, of course, evolved and evolved and evolved uh, since then, which has been a real joy. <laughs> but I've learned things. You know, I used to make videos. I used to do long, like hour and a half videos of my projects, like click on this, drag it here, type this. And it became unmaintainable. 
you because it was just changing too quickly. Because you know, of course, two dot oh started doing try catch and guard and defer all these great new features, and I wanted to include them in the book. And in the book, it's like tap 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 done. Do a quick diff, update the book, a video. Let's record the whole thing from scratch every single time for 45 hours of videos, three times a year. It's not worth it. <laughs> no, no amount of money would be worth it for that, quite frankly. Uh, so, yeah, I just do books nowadays. <laughs> I learn very quickly. Yeah, it seems like that wouldn't work well with Swift videos. Currently. Or at least depending on how you do the videos. Maybe. Well, uh, yeah, if you split up very carefully. And maybe in an unknown future in a couple of years and when the change of Swift slows down. It's easier. The problem, so right now, 4.2, it's an additive release, right? You know, in terms of code-breaking changes, Swift does not change much. Fine, there are new things in there, great new things, like the new random systems in there and hash warning, hash errors in there. Love these features. They're brilliant. The problem is no longer Swift the language. It's the Apple overlays. The Apple overlays have changed again. They've inserted these little full stops or periods, you know. It's now UI application dot launch options. And it was just one thing before. It's like a tiny thing, but that breaks the video. And I'm a perfectionist. I don't want to have like a little subtitle saying, don't do this, do this. That's a cheaty way out, quite frankly. I'd be forced to redo the whole video. Uh, and life's just too short, quite frankly. We'll see. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I also had like the same experience, especially uh, working on a library. Um, where we did a great migration from Swift 2 to Swift 3, which everyone did, and everything broke. But we also, we wanted to make a new API, but we also wanted to make it easy for the uh, user of that framework to upgrade. And I think it does help to a certain extent that we have these fix-its within Xcode. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would, like, it doesn't feel good to give it tutorial or to, to publish code that when somebody, especially someone new, uses it and sees warnings and sees errors. Yeah. It just doesn't feel it, right. The, uh, the, the problem is, and this is a genuine problem that I've talked about in one of my talks in NS Spain recently, Swift has changed so much over the last four years and continues to change that we're at the point today where between June and September, every single year, people email me saying, I'm just learning Swift, and I've downloaded the Xcode beta, and it isn't working. That we... People who have never touched Swift before know it's changing so quickly. They feel obliged to get the beta version so it doesn't change for another six months at least. That's what we're doing to people who are just trying to learn Swift. We've done it so many times. We've hurt these people so much. They just feel burned by it. And the, that makes even more problems. Of course, Xcode tend to be flaky in the early releases and so forth. So it's just a wall of pain for folks learning Swift sometimes. It's a real shame. But do you think there's a way around that? I think ultimately it's got to stop, right? You know, uh, Swift 5 yes. is going to be, I mean, there are great strings, Swift, uh, things in Swift 5, you know, raw strings is great. The, um, future case unknown stuff's very nice. Um, but it's going to start being boring at some point. And that's not a bad thing. I don't mean boring bad. I mean boring, predictable. Nothing's really changed. There's like a few refinements here and there. Every book you've bought previously is still fine. Because of course, people buy these books. Now, fair enough. Mine come with these lifetime Swift updates, right? But other folks spend 50 bucks buying a book. And that book basically not going to be worth much anymore because Swift Point X has come out. Yeah, you, you have to buy it in September. Yeah, May you really do. <laughs> yeah. Or there's a delay, of course. So, you know, actual print book is a delay. Of, you know, a few months to go through editing process and so forth. So, well, well it's it's kind of like the Apple hardware, right? The best the best point to buy it is right after it comes out because one year later and like half a year later, you already know in a couple of months there's a new version that's even better. Or just buy from a person who gives you free lifetime Swift updates. <laughs> Bing. Or <laughs> well, Apple should do that with their phones. 
Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so, conference speaking, you also do a lot of like talking at conferences. How, like, when did that start? Not that long ago. Uh, I went to Ford Swift 2016. That was the first day I spoke actually. I did six days of back-to-back workshops. It was really intense. Wow. Like, one of them was on React Native as well, which was perhaps the worst which I've ever given in my life. <laughs> um, so that was a real joy, that one. Um, yeah, by the end of it, my voice was going. I was properly mentally broken. <laughs> um, so I learned a lesson. You know, okay, you can do a lot, but not too much. There's a, a limit even for me to, comfortably speaking. Um, but I love doing it, so I'm happy to do more and more as it goes by. Just not back-to-back, ideally. Yeah, because the fir- so the first time you did any conference speaking, you gave six workshops mm-hmm. back-to-back. Back-to-back. Oh, the, the Rat Native one, you've got no idea. You know, <laughs> Rat Native at the time was new. I loved it. I was excited about it. It was great fun. But we got there and there were now 15 students on the workshop and everyone had a different system configuration. Mm. Everyone had a different problem with NPM installing Rat Native, different error message. And the last person after three hours, we finally figured out the last problem was he had a, a random debug Apache server running on that port. It was just completely bananas, the problems they had themselves twisted up in to do development. And nothing to do with the code. Once it was done, once the setup was done, just installing the damn package, everything else was a dream. Super easy. So that one bit was, oh my God, so many, I've got NPM3, NPM4, NPM5, NPM6. Oh my goodness, it was bad. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've learned about don't do any JavaScript workshops ever again was the main takeaway from that. I think workshops in general are tricky because you have to kind of tell them what Xcode version they should have because you also have to prepare for that and then they don't and then you have to if you have a lot of attendees then you at best you bring Xcode versions on USB sticks because otherwise the internet is usually slow at these places. Yeah. So workshops can be tricky. I think I'm at the point now because I've done you know 16 books with the 17th coming out soon. Spoiler. Um, that when someone pitches a curveball question at me. I can actually answer it pretty quickly because I've got so much experience in doing a variety of things. I've done a lot of workshops now, a lot of presentations to a lot of people. I get asked a lot of questions. So uh, I'm not quite a walking Swift dictionary, but I'm not far off. Uh, uh, the, all the coffee helps. And the Fritz Cola. Brought to you, sponsored by Fritz Cola. Fritz Cola from Hamburg. <laughs> the best Coke you can get with double coffee. Mm. <laughs> um... Talking about about that, um, if somebody is like you, doing coding, enjoying coding, and also thinking about maybe moving into a direction where it's more of teaching, writing about it, do you have any tips of, of, of what to do, steps to take for somebody who's already developing and feels like he's, he's good at that and he wants to he also wants, wants to change direction somehow, as, as you did? Yeah, great. No, I encourage it. I, I... One of the best things about teaching Swift is that, and it's the same for any presentation, when you get on stage to deliver, talk about anything ever, you've got to really know it. You can't go up thinking, I sort of know this. You've got to go up feeling, I 100% know this from every possible angle, because you want to go up and nail the confidence things. So in, in many respects, teaching Swift is the best way to learn Swift. If you really want to understand the rethrows keyword, for example, or whatever it's talking about, operator overloading, generics, whatever it is, um, write a book about it, write an article about it, write a few articles about it, because then you will really, really understand it. Because that pressure of hitting post, publish, submit, whatever it is, even tweet, uh, is high. And it makes you really reread and reread and reread and double check and, and get into it more. So I really encourage folks to do it because you will learn Swift better when you teach Swift. Um, the easiest way to get in, and I, I told 
you know, Chandis um, about his book, the best thing to do is just take what you've got on a blog and put it into a book. He's doing one. He's announced it, I think, today, um, volume one of Swift by Sundell. And it's just it's just his blog posts. We might edit them up a little bit, but, you know, saying I'm going to write a book, fine, I do that a lot, but most folks don't. It's a daunting task writing a book, or it feels like it. Saying I'm going to write an article, and then another article, and then another article, and then after a year, that's a book. <laughs> that's much, much easier to do. Anyone can do that. And as long as you feel happy with that initial hump of pressing publish on medium or uh, box how you use when you when you write an article or, or a book and um, there's a new swift version how do you figure out what's wrong in your article or your book do you read it again or do you have like some sort of tool that tries to get the code out and compile it it's, this is really challenging and this is something i'm sure that bad spaces a lot too you know someone who writes an article about swift 5 in nine months time has a significantly easier time than baz or i do when we're writing about it today, when no one else has written about it. So we're trying to explain why raw strings are cool or why uh, recursive associated type constraints are useful practically when no one else has given any examples of it ever in the, in the language. So that's quite challenging. And occasionally you do sort of second guess. But, you know, one of the fun things you learn about when you work in magazine publishing is that people really, really will hate you no matter what you say. <laughs> you know, we had so many angry emails from folks. It's Linux magazines. We get things like, you know, you talk about Ubuntu Linux far too much. And we'd, 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 we'd do the math. We'd say, we'd, you know, maybe a quarter of the page is about Ubuntu, but we'd never cover Fedora Linux. We cover, you know, Mint Linux. We cover the other Linux. Linux um, was a problem. But people always find a reason to disagree with you. And that's fine. Leave them to go over there. Hate is going to hate, right? You know, that's uh, Taylor Swift nailed that one pretty cleanly. Mm. Uh, so get over it. If you get mates like that, do you just ignore it? Um, I think, I think it's important that we all define ourselves by what actions we take. But sometimes I define myself by the actions I don't take. Some of the hate mail I get, particularly, I, I, one thing I do, and this might annoy some of your listeners, but I do it a fair amount, is I talk on Twitter a lot about um, diversity, the need to have a more diverse range mm -hmm. of coders in our community and diverse range of speakers in our community. This is very important to me. Uh, and I get a lot of hate mail about that. People do not like me. This I should stay in my lane. I want to talk about Swift. Um, and actually, in some respects, getting that kind of email, that kind of response, tells me I'm doing something right. Exactly. I am hitting a yeah, nerve. Absolutely. If I was getting nothing back, then I'm just sort of in the middle somewhere, mm. like, like a meh. Mm. So I'd rather get something back. People were angry about something, because that means I'm doing something right. I'm mm. in the right direction. Yeah, and then you also see that... that If people are grieved about it in any way, you 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 touch a point with yeah. them, yeah, and, yeah. and hopefully they start thinking maybe because they they listen to you, they seem to enjoy what you have to say, so maybe you can make them listen a bit, rethink a bit. That's that's all I can do. And I, mm. I don't think I, I'm not in a particularly strong position in the community. You know, uh, I'm not you know, I'm not diverse myself. I'm a married white guy in his you know late thirties, um, but whatever influence I do have, I want to use. And I think I'm trying. That's really cool. And that's, that's for me, something I like about conferences as well, um, where you see the community come together and it's everyone often. Like you see that many people from all around, like wherever we are, like uh, different countries, different people, uh, women, like all of them. While 
oftentimes in some companies, it's harder to see that diversity. And it's super cool yeah. to see that like come together. Yeah, I know there are some companies in Hamburg who've got sort of dev teams of about 30 people and they're all male. Yeah, which is really hard to imagine. Yeah, it's really weird. It's it's actually multiple companies in Hamburg are set up like that. Right. It, maybe there are no female developers in Hamburg. I don't know. It's, <laughs> well, it's, it's statistically improbable. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But to be fair, this is something that Natasha does extraordinarily well. And when I speak to conferences, and I do, they invite me personally. Paul, come and speak here, and that's when I know I have my chance. I can look at the speaker list and say, "This speaker list isn't good enough. You've got to try harder." Uh, and it gives me that platform to make a difference. But they'll often say things like, you know, we have an anonymous call for papers or, you know, these small things. Or we reach out to developers around the time for paper submission and so forth. And Natasha doesn't do that. She builds the network of people she trusts over the whole year, building up towards that final conference actually happening. It's not like, you know, six weeks beforehand, could you come and speak at my event? Um, she builds that confidence, builds that trust and builds a network ahead of time. And unsurprisingly, she has an amazingly diverse range of speakers, the most diverse of any, anywhere, you know, it's remarkable what she does and, and it's a, a real benefit to our community. And there are some, you know, there's one I'm speaking at in November where I've been, uh, having very forthright words with, uh, about the speaker selection and they have agreed to change and they have invited people I've recommended. And that's really good to see, but it just, it's a shame we have to keep on saying these basic things like you've just got the least diverse range of speakers. Please try harder. You haven't tried very hard there, you know. I, I always find it hard because I have a huge, um, like I look up to conference uh, organizers because it's a huge task. Mm -hmm. And I do think that we are like we're getting there when it comes to diversity. But I think that having to talk about it and having to remind them, I mean, it might not be the best feeling, but I think I won't want to blame the uh, conference organizers directly, but I like, I would love to like see it better. And, and I think us talking about it and, and talking with those uh, conference organizers, giving them feedback. I think if that's the best thing we can do right now, that's at least a good thing forward. They're certainly aware they should do better, I think. And, and consistently raising the issue helps. And I think, I mean, it's the same with companies. Where I think it's also not an issue of, hey, there are none. There are. They are there. If there are none, then you are the one that, that, <laughs> that's doing something yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I would say this was a great episode. Thanks again to Paul Hudson for coming in and um, as a, or for a special guest on Contravariance. All right. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye.